everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise today, everybody. This is Debbie coming in from South Florida, and the sun is shining. It is a gorgeous day. Thank goodness. I think this is fall coming on in Florida. It was uh, in the 70s this morning, and it's absolutely beautiful. And it's a great day for a great conversation with a super young man that I met in Dallas. And my husband laughs when I start telling him about these young men that I'm meeting. And he said, he's not that young. And I'm like, considering our age, honey, he is young. So I have a great guest today. His name is R.L. Shaver. R.L., are you there? Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can now. Well, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. And um, you're coming to us from Pittsburgh, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, great. Well, RL, I do bios sometimes, but I want to know from my guests, basically their background. Where, are they, where do they come from? I want my audience to get to know who my guest is before we jump into the meat of the conversation. So can you tell me a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, first of all, Debbie, I'm super excited to be on here. I'm, I'm honored. It's, it's a big honor to be able to jump on with you. Um, but I'm from, I grew up in southern West Virginia. Um, really, I, gr I like to joke that I grew up about 20 minutes from a stoplight because... <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a very small town. Just, it's called Meta Bridge. We're actually just outside of a very small town called Meta Bridge. Uh, population of right around 100. Um, Did you say 100? Yeah, 100. I thought I grew up in a small town there with 2,500. Wow. 20, towns of 2,500 are where we went to, um, to, to buy groceries. <laughs> <Like> football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. In fact, um, with the town that I went to college in, in Buchanan, um, what Buchanan, West Virginia, which is where West Virginia Wesleyan is, is um, there was about, I think, 2,500 people. And um, like most college towns, it about doubled in size when the students were on campus. And uh, yeah, it, um, I thought it was a big town for me because we actually had a Walmart and we had grocery stores and, and yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great, considering we live in bigger areas now. That's, it's fun. But, you know, there is a lot of value to a small town. 
You might not think that when you're young. I always thought, I've got to get out of here, got to get out of here. But the older I've gotten, I realize that it was fun having those Fourth of July parades and everybody knowing who you were and watching out for you and being able to you know, get on your bike at 8 in the morning and not come home until 4 because you're out with your friends and mom wasn't worried. A lot has changed. Yeah. We, we didn't get quite as much of the, um, we didn't get quite as much of the, the freedom um, at my age, at 38, like in the late 80s and early 90s, it was already starting to be a little more of the, you know, don't run quite as far. We weren't able to roam as free as we wanted. And uh, I don't know if it was my parents or if it was just more of the, the cultural shift. Do you, have, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have an older sister. Um, she's six years older than me. So, and then um, a younger brother. He's two years younger than me. So. Okay. Uh, now, how about hobbies? But yeah, hobby-wise, growing up, um, I was riding my bike. Uh, Dad worked a lot, so there was a lot of my hobby was helping Dad on the, on his vehicles, in the house, on the farm. Um, I loved to read as a kid. Um, I was big into science fiction and fantasy. And um, yeah, I spent a ton of time reading. In fact, I used to get in... I, I was one of, the, one of those kids that got in trouble for reading because I would... Dad would ask me to come work on the farm with him, and I'd hide in the truck and read a book. <laughs> How about sports? I read somewhere that maybe you were a football player. I did. I played football, a little bit of basketball. Um, I really enjoyed football. Uh, there's, I'm not a super aggressive guy. I'm pretty laid back, but I enjoy the times when I get to be aggressive in the right framework. So it was really fun playing football, like hitting people and stuff like that. Because it's one of those things, it's like you get done and it's no big deal, you know. So, And I'm a big dude. I'm 6'3", um, so I'm a tall guy. Were you on so, the offensive line or defensive? Both. Um, oh. <laughs> we, it's not that I was that good. It's that we were that small. When I played it, like, you pretty much had to play everything. <laughs> True. You know, that's a really great team-building exercise, though. I know yeah. with, with my, my youngest particularly, um, he, it, was, it was his group of friends that he played ball with, that he hung with all the time. And uh, when football season was over, it, it changed the boys, especially my youngest one. He didn't have the identity that he had with the group. Hmm. So did, were you more of a loner then, or did you really identify with your, your buds? Uh, you know, in football, I mean, I just I was heading in a different direction than a lot of the guys on my football team. So, I mean, I got along some. Um, I had a bad self-image, and one of the things that I really, really, really struggled with was feeling not accepted, which was wasn't really their fault. It was my own mental programming, and um, that didn't go away for a long time, and I still struggle with it to this day, but I've, I've gotten a lot better at not, you know, telling myself that I don't belong, that I'm not valued, that taking every slight and getting offended by, you know. Uh, but in high school, I was, I was, I had a few, a few friends that I didn't play football with. I didn't know how to get past myself to fit in with the team. And it wasn't until later in life that I really started to get that band of brothers, people that, you know, you can count on no matter what. Well, and you were very engaging when we were in Dallas. I didn't feel any of that um, 
feeling. So I can see how it's changed. But you and I were talking a little bit before the show about that not enough feeling and, and the body image feeling. And, and I uh, had read somewhere, it might have been in the front of your book, uh, about your weight. And we were going to address this because when I first met you, like you said, you're what, 6'4"? Mm-hmm. And you're a big guy. And you yeah. reminded me so much of my late husband, Lou. Um, just a kind, gentle, appearing big bear kind of a guy yeah. with very low self, self-esteem, but you'd never know it because he was so self-confident, just yeah. so self-confident. Uh, but I, I realized after Lou passed away, and, and we talked a little bit about this, about the reason he'd put on so much weight over the years is he yo-yoed back and forth. And, and we talk about this a lot with women. Men, I found, don't like to talk about it much, but it affects all of us where our body image, and maybe this went back to when we were younger, is that we wanted to have that ideal, but we didn't have it. And so I read somewhere, too, that you just kept feeling that voice of condemnation coming back, that if you tried to diet and you failed, then that was a failure, and then you didn't feel good about yourself. Can you kind of address your feelings when you were going through those times? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's There's this cycle that happens where we fall down and then these voices in our head start telling us we can't do better and then we just indulge and then we then the, those voices come and condemn us for those things you know it's like for example you know say you're struggling with um with food like not eating sweets because you're like hey I really need to to get healthier so the the what will happen is like you'll you'll say hey I want a sweet and you'll eat a sweet and then that voice will come and be like, well, you shouldn't eat that sweet. You should just give up this pursuit of, you know, whatever, of, of be, trying to be healthy. And then it'll, you'll just feel terrible because that voice just keeps going on and on and on. And you'll start to accept what that voice says. And then you'll say, well, I'm not worth, I'm not worth pushing forward. And then you'll, um, you'll indulge and eat a ton of sweets and you'll just binge. And then once you get done, like, it's just like that voice just keeps pounding in you the whole way and walking through um and you know for me like getting out of that was just echoing the truth and for me um you know it was a matter of realizing that really i mean i was fighting something actually uh, actually fighting something and so therefore i needed to to learn how to fight back and so my fighting back turned into using my words and saying, no, listen, I'm not condemned. I'm my, my God loves me. And, uh, it was Romans eight, one, uh, there is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that was the, the verse that I just, I used as my weapon. And it was really wild. Um, it was really wild the first time that I used it. Cause I just, I said it out loud and the voice stopped. It had been drowning in my head all day. And I said it and the voice stopped like, dead silence and then it didn't come back and it was wild but then the next time it came back again when I slipped up when I fell I used it again and it was wild because I just I got excited about this new weapon that I used to to actually move forward it was actually that using that process that I was able to keep on track and um, not beat myself up, you know, because anytime you're moving forward in something, you, it's a struggle. 
you're going to fail, you're not going to hit your goals. That's a normal part of the process, you know? And I'm sure you know that too, Debbie, and I'm sure a lot of our readers know, our listeners know that readers. <laughs> well, that's true. And I actually, I found something this morning that said, it is natural for man to ask questions when confronted with suffering. Well, it yeah. is. And it's that whole why me? And mm-hmm. I, I found instead of saying the why me, you've got to say, why not me? So why not yeah. me? Why, you know, things happen. I always say things happen for a reason. My daughter contradicts that sometimes. But I believe that there is, there's purpose for the things that happen in our lives. We might not see it right away. It might take 20 years. But yeah. if you're looking at the eternal perspective of things, there is a purpose for what happened. And yeah. I'm looking at all the things that you, that you wrote at the beginning of the book about, and which was like the prologue of the book, uh, about the weight and the voices. And, and, and this, isn't psych, this isn't psych one. We're not therapists or psychologists here. Right. But it's just things that affect us and how bitter we can be because of things that happened in the past if we let that bitterness overtake us. But I love how you said that your words, but it was words to yourself. Now, did you ever confront people with those words? Because you're a big guy. You could be, your presence is pretty assuming. Or, and, uh, but you also had that kindness about you. Was there any time yeah. in your life that you had to use that in anger? You know, there's a, there was, for the most part, most of the time, those I, I've tried to realize that I'm not in a battle with other people. Now I might be in a no. The other person might be fighting the same battles and stuck in the same things, or even trying to put those same um, bad thoughts that they have on me. So there might be times when I need to, and I, and I try to lead gentle, just because I am a big dude and I don't want to scare people mm-hmm. and. Um, I have this, one of my biggest struggles in life is that I'm a people, I've, I've struggled with being a people pleaser. I'm not a people pleaser anymore, but, you know, um, so I like, I like seeing people happy. It's just a part of who I am. Um, but I, there are times when I have to step up and say no. And it's funny, in one of the, one of the struggles with Samuel, um, I had an interesting run in when I was super exhausted, um, with a parking attendant and um, I was actually really proud of myself because that's one of the things I've always worried about like you know when I'm pushed to my limit how I'm going to handle standing up to somebody am I going to just lose it and break and you know pummel them because I really wanted I really wanted to hurt the dude I was so exhausted I was in it's in it the book you know in the in the book I'll tell the stories I don't want to spoil it too bad but I uh, I yeah (laughs) Well, okay, so I actually know that spoiler alert about the parking guy, and I told my audience about that, but okay. now that you've segued into the book, yeah, we know who you are. You're a big guy. You, you had a son. Tell me the story. You do have an older son. You have a son named Isaiah. Yeah. Isaiah is now 11. Right. Tell the story about Isaiah really quickly. Yeah, yeah, So. Um, Isaiah is the, in a lot of ways, very much like me. In a lot of ways, he's like his mother. Um, Isaiah does not live with us. He's with his mother, um, awesome mom. You know, I had my own struggles when we when we officially started dating, and I was get, overcoming some bitterness, um, a heartbreak that I didn't take good control of the voices in my life, and I 
I just I turned to bitterness. I gave in to it, and I, and I thought that God didn't think I was good enough, which which is not ever, ever the case. Um, but I was angry at God. And so when Christina and I started dating, um, I let go of some of the principles that I wanted to stand on. She got pregnant, and then... She, um, I didn't see Isaiah Tilly's too. I'm, I'm not going to go into it. That's her story as far it's her as like. Her story, all but she she essentially left. And she sent, yeah, essentially, yeah, and um, and that's it's it's all water under the bridge. Right now, we have a great relationship. We've done a lot of hard work, talking over things, opening up, sharing stuff, um, and now we have a great relationship. But Isaiah's you know a great part of that. But I didn't see Isaiah Tilly's too, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Yeah, and it's and as a, as a dad who's not there all the time, it's one of the things I'm most mindful of is like I love my 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 little buddy, and I want to want to influence his life. I was telling him the other day, it was like my whole goal in life is to raise you to be a man, and he's like, I thought it was to keep me alive. I'm like, no, Isaiah, there's so much more I'm trying to 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 lead you to. There's a there's a book by Steve Farrar. I'm trying to remember the title, but he basically talks about how he kind of expands on the principle of that children are um, errors in a quiver, and he says basically you're, it's like your whole process of parenting is like putting them in a bow. You're pulling them back to release them. And so you're pulling them back, and you're pulling them back, and you're aiming them, and you're pulling, and you're aiming, and you're pulling. And it's, that's, that's really the struggle of, of, of parenting. You're, you're trying to um, lead your kids in the, in the way that they should go because – Isaiah is so much different from Samuel. Samuel is wild and in your face and laughing all the time, inappropriately so sometimes, and friends with everybody. And Isaiah is like, you know, he's introspective and emotional and he is willing to fight even me um, if he thinks somebody's I'm hurting somebody or because uh, we had that, which was it, it, it was a mo- it was a beautiful moment. He he thought I was really trying to hurt Samuel, and I wasn't. And he stepped up and like got like stepped up to me, and I was like, "Wow, kid, this is so beautiful," you know. <laughs> well, you'll find I have I have four children, and each one is so different. And you're thinking, how they come from the same parents? But when you're <laughs> parenting, you're parenting differently for each child because you're different at that time in your life. And the yeah. older ones look at the youngest one and think, oh, my gosh, he had such an easy life. You know, you let him watch this TV show, which we only watch PBS. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you guys, what's important? But what what is important that they've turned into responsible human beings? And I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of you with that bow and arrow in the quiver. And, I'm, and our goal is to, you know, let him go. Just shoot mm-hmm. him in a direction and say, go. And yeah. the greatest joy for me now is to see the grandchildren that are coming out of this. And and some of it's payback. <laughs> it's kind of like, huh, you know. <laughs> a mother's dream is to see something that her son did reflected in her grandson, um, which is fun to watch. But I'm so proud of what the kids have done in spite of some of the troubles. So you, at the, at the time, you had some difficulties. You and Christina didn't work together. Mm-hmm. When did you, uh, When did you move on? And how did you move on? Well, I mean, I really wasn't given much choice. Um, you know, things things ended about three months into the relationship, which if you do the math, like, it's pretty much get pregnant. Um, oh, three months pregnant. Oh, we found out we're pregnant. Oh, and then we're not together anymore. So that, 
you know, I was already pretty bitter and angry, and that didn't leave me in a great spot. I actually pretty much, for about a month after that happened, I would go to work, I would come home, and I would just lay in bed. I remember hearing the bird, there was, it was April, so the birds were chirping because they had babies right outside the, my window, and I remember laying in bed listening to the birds chirping and just laying, staring at the ceiling. <laughs> So you were you were working and relationships were falling apart. Mm -hmm. How did you meet your next love? So um, fast forward, had a couple, uh, still struggled with the people pleasing, which is not a super attractive trait. Um, still struggled with a bad self-image, which is a super not attractive trait. So it took me a while to find somebody, and it was wasn't until like I. I dated some somebody else. Let's just say that I was in a really angry spot. <laughs> and not an angry spot, but I was just I no longer thought, "Hey, RL, you were the what could you have fixed? You were the problem in the relationship." I finally just said, "You know what? This wasn't my baggage that I brought into the relationship. I wasn't the one who caused this breakup basically." And uh so I was in a spot where I didn't want to date anybody. I didn't want to I didn't care if I got married. I didn't care if any of it, which was strange because I'd wanted to be married since I was five. Um, mm -hmm. I just I loved what my parents had, and I wanted kids of my own. And um, I went to a Bible study. Uh, one of my buddies, actually, my best friend Aaron, was like, hey, you should come to a Bible study. You haven't been to anything church-wise in a while. You should you should come to this Bible study we have. And I was like, well, Aaron, are there any girls there? And he's like, none for you. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> and so then I go, and there's this pretty blonde girl there and I'm checking her out and I'm like, well, she must be with somebody or something. And I, I get to talking to her. Nope, she's single. And um, yeah, we we hung out for about four or five months because I wasn't ready to date. And then she uh, she went to Disney. She she took some time away from me and she went to Disney with her brother. Didn't talk to me the whole time she was there. And I was like, wait a second, I actually like this girl. I actually miss this girl. We got engaged in August. We got married in November. Um, I have a quick question, though, because a lot of the audience that we have, if they were in online relationships and they fell apart, and you know, mm -hmm. you know my story. Uh, did you ever yeah. try online dating? I did. I did. Um, I the show. I, I hear the stupor of thought here. <laughs> That's a good thing. No, I'm, I'm laughing because you know I did date some long distance. In fact, the girl before I met Stephanie, she was in California. But a big problem that we had, and and I hear in a lot of your story, and I hear in a lot of people who have similar stories to yours, is that just she wasn't somebody who was willing to be open and honest of, of who she was and the struggles she had, and therefore that was part of the problem, you know? Well, the one thing you did that I didn't do, though, is you met her in person. I mean, my guy was very willing to tell me everything that I wanted to hear, but I never met him in person. So you met him in person, and she wasn't the one for you. But I was just curious because no, that's, that's when so many people. I mean, my daughter is a single mom now and, and trying to date, and mm -hmm. it's all because of the pandemic. It's all online, and I'm just like, my you know, my radar is out. Jenny, be careful, be careful, be careful. And she goes, yeah. well, she wrote to me this morning. She goes, men are all dumb and they can't come carry on a conversation. I'm like, okay, you're at a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> not the time for you. Uh, so anyway, you, you, you got through all that, and you met your sweetheart, mm -hmm. got married. Mm -hmm. She's a little bit older. You were in your early 30s. 
Yeah, I think it was. I remember we were talking about this last night. Um, she she threw my thirtieth birthday party for me. And there you go. Yeah. And so you guys ended up getting pregnant pretty quick. Yeah, we were married in November. Samuel was born in September. We're not counting. <laughs> that's quick, but that's good because you knew, you know, you were, she was in her early 30s. You wanted to have a baby. And I love the story about his name. So, and I love, I love it that you go by R.L. Your real name is? Ronald. Ronald L. after your dad. The reason I went out to say R.L. is because when I met him in Dallas and he said his name is R.L., he goes, yeah, that means really little. And if you would see RL in person, like he said, he's six foot four, he's three hundred and something pounds. He is a big guy. So RL for real little is not who he is. And uh, so this the story went when they were found out they were pregnant is his wife gets to name the little girl. He had to come up with a name for the little boy. And is he back yet? RL, you back? Pregnancy goes on. They have an ultrasound. They've got a name for the little girl named after his wife's um, family members. I don't remember, can't remember if it was a mother or aunt or whatever. Beautiful girl's name. And then they find out that the baby is a boy. And R.L. is struggling because he doesn't have a name for the boy. He thinks, well, maybe I'll name him after, after my father and make it a third. And that just wasn't cutting it. He, wasn't, he was praying for it, like a topic today. For this child I have prayed, he prayed for a name. The name wasn't coming wasn't coming. He wanted David. He loved David. His wife, he just didn't get the feel that that was going to be there. And uh, so, long story short, and I want him to tell this part, I want to find out where he went to. Can you hear me? I can now. Oh, thank God. Okay. Well, I was yeah, I... monologue going, oh, he's going to be really upset that he got... Oh, thank, thank you, Debbie, for covering. You know, it just, it just cut. Like, I'm sitting there here listening to you talk, and I'm like... Are you going to hear me? I could hear you, and then I was like, you know, when all else fails, close it out. But then I was like, oh, I gotta find the the number and the <laughs> access code and all this stuff. And do I have the right? Oh gosh, I wrote it sloppy. And <laughs> okay, so you heard me talking. Tell me the rest of the story. So the it was funny because like I just I don't know I was at such a spot in my life where I was just finally like, God, you are really good. I'm you're finally fulfilling the lifelong dream of giving me a wife. And you know what? I'd love to honor you by naming Samuel the same name that you have written for him. And um, I'd love to hear that. And you know, it's funny because like, I waited the whole pregnancy and Stephanie got really upset because she's like, just make a decision, you know? Um, and I laugh about it and she still doesn't. So it is what it is. <laughs> um, but the, um, you know, it was so, so cool. that's with like, pregnant women. I know. I know. I was really tempting fate. I was really tempting fate, but it came down to it, and you know she's she's in labor. We're taken to the hospital. And I'm like, I better figure out a name. So I was like, I really love David. David's one of my favorite characters from the Bible. I love his struggles and how he handles them and his victories. And um, I also thought I love Ronald. I think it's a cool name because it means wise ruler, and I'd love to see my child embody that. You know, so I'm like, either one of those would be really cool. And, um, you know, those, but those were my backups because I really wanted to honor God. I was like, I really want to do this, you know, and if he doesn't come through, no big deal. I'll, I'll just name Samuel. It'll be okay. Well, the minute, the instant 
that I picked up Samuel after he was born, um, I felt this warm presence in my spirit, and I just it, and I didn't hear it. I just felt the name Samuel, like I felt it, like in the core of my being, and I was like, "Oh, that's wow! I like that." And so, and it was, and I struggled with it because I was like, I struggled with it mainly because one of the guys who mentored me at the time had lost a son, and um, named Samuel, and he was stillborn, and it was it was very. I was like. I don't want to hurt him. I mean, he's been a guy who's been fantastic to me. Um, I don't want to hurt him by naming him this. And I was like, God, are you sure? Are you okay with this? And what about what about these other names? And it was it was funny because like I just I felt like that warmth presence just leave, and then like it was just replaced with like an emptiness. And I was like, okay, God's made a decision. Let's do this. And so I named him Samuel. Well, honestly, I'm looking at that as what an honor to your friend. And I hope he felt that way. That by naming Samuel, Samuel, he could he could remember his son through Samuel. And, and for me, I would be watching it. You know, there might be some sad times and you're thinking, well, that could be my son. But you can't, mm-hmm. you can't live that way. You have to... You have to look at what's happened, and, and again, everything happens for that reason. The baby, I have great belief that, I, I mean, I've miscarried multiple times. The, the child that I had that was, well, I lost at five months, he just needed a body, and mm-hmm. he has a name. You know, and, and everybody that's named that, I don't look at that. Other children say, well, I wish my little boy would, I don't even know how old he would be now. But you can't live that way. You have to celebrate what other people have too. So yeah. your your blessing was that Samuel was born and Samuel was born at full term and appeared to be healthy. So then what happens? Yeah, so um, he was making this cute wheezing sound. We still have a video somewhere. I might have to make that public so people can find it. But he was wheezing. and Not wheezing, but he was going, hmm, And we thought it was Mute because it's like oh he's a little baby he's making noises oh and then they're like yeah that's not a good thing. <laughs> um, he was he had fluid on his lungs and um, then we found out that his heart was beating at you know double speed which a baby's already pretty pretty high heart rate but he was at like 260 beats a minute. <sighs> yeah and it, you know, the funny thing was is I was just like you know we've been praying over him everything's good they tell us okay he has bad mitral valve regurgitation which if you're Basically, think of it this way. The, the valve is supposed to close, and then your heart squeezes and pumps blood forward. So that way it doesn't... And the valve wasn't closing all the way, and so blood was going backwards and forwards instead mm-hmm. of just going forwards. So that was the mitral valve regurgitation. Now, the mitral valve is just... It's, it's one of the four valves in the heart. And then um, he had another... The, the racing heart was SVT, and it was basically like... Um, I like to compare it to like an electrical thing because I have an engineering background. So it was a short circuit, and it would just basically the electricity would go down, the, the heart would beat, and then it would jump, and it would beat again. It's like oh, I have to beat twice. So it was like, you know, beating twice as fast. And so yeah. And he was just how old? Just months when? Yeah, he was, no, this. He was, it was right he, when he was, was born, right? Right when he was born, we found out all this stuff. And like I said, I mean, I. I just was like, well, we've been praying over everything. Everything's going to be fine. So you took him home, at, but with medication. Doctor said keep an eye on him, or what was what was yeah, the we, doctor's 
he was in for he was in the hospital for a week, and then um, within um, within the first month he was back in the hospital. He ended up doing about a week a month up until, and then he um, let's see. But they sent us home with some medication to, to to regulate his heart to keep it under control, and everything seemed pretty fine other than you know occasionally going to the hospital about about stuff and staying in until two and a half months. And, and it was at two and a half months, um, we were, you know, it was a, it was a Saturday morning. I was off work. I'm I'm I'm, I'm sleeping in. Stuff's like something's wrong. He's not eating, and so she took him into the doctor. And long and short, um. He ended up turning blue, and we had to rush him to the hospital, and then we had to ru- rush him to a different hospital, and then, you know, everything everything's going to be okay turned into your your two and a half month old son is has to have open heart surgery, and even worse, it's not just, you know, we're going to fix this, it's we're going to do something really temporary, and hope that he gets old enough to where we can actually do something more permanent. Which is a lot. Yeah, I'm, um, it's a stupor. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my I've got goosebumps because I'm just thinking you've got a brand new parent, new baby, mm-hmm. and there's. Uh, so how did you how did you deal with that news? Well, the the first thing I did was I, I turned to my mentor and I texted him. I turned to Jake and was like, Jake, listen, Sam is going in for heart surgery, and. Um, he gave me some uh, some scriptures and he gave me some books and he said, "Listen, you know, he's gonna, he's everything's gonna be okay." But he, he he let the scriptures and the books do the talking mainly. And Did you? Is this a, a congenital thing? Is it something that maybe was in the family or just it just happens? I don't, I'd never heard it's of this a, before. It's, it's they call it is a, is a congenital congenital heart defect. Um, and, and there's some speculation that it could have been due to a medicine that Stephanie was on. There was actually a big class action lawsuit. Feel at peace about pursuing the lawsuit about and saying it was that, and I didn't even label it as anything other than, hey, we're in a we're in a spiritual battle, and you know, Samuel's not well, um, and we got something to fight, you know. There are times when um, family member, when something's happened in a family, that mm-hmm. it actually serves to draw couples together, but it can mm-hmm. also push people apart. So yeah. how did you and Stephanie work on keeping things together? Because you're still together after all these years. How did you yeah. keep your relationship good in spite of the anxiety and the concern that was going on for, for Samuel? You know, um, sheer willpower. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Steph deals with a lot. Um, and so, so her kind of her kind of natural tendency in crisis is to shut down. So there was a lot of her shutting down. And honestly, I mean, I was just trying to survive. I was working a full-time job um, that was pretty brutal, both mentally and time-wise. And I, I lived, it was an hour and a half of commuted, you know, round trip during the day, which isn't that crazy, but it's it's enough, you know. Um, and then I was working at 980, so I was... Um, I was starting work at 7, so it's a half hour, 45 minute drive in the morning, and then I was finishing work at 5, and it's a you know 45 minute to an hour drive home. 
So it was they were they were long days and they were mentally taxing days. So I had to do that because you know I needed to pay the bills. I still had the child support payment to make. I still had you know uh, rent and food and all this other stuff. And so all that stuff was going on. And then you know I'm trying to keep on top of Samuel's medical stuff to you know work with stuff and stuff and actually worked really well as far as like making medical decisions like choosing what to do and talking together and you know having each other's back um there was a lot of times when she would she would know something was wrong and the doctors or nurses or you know residents it's a teaching hospital so they're not all the doctors you you didn't always deal with uh, the the fantastic doctors that we dealt with. A lot of times it was doctors who were new and who were learning. So a lot of times I would step in when she, and pick up the the mantle for her. You know, pick up the sword for her because she was. There was a couple of times where she just was like, something's not right. They need to check this. They need to do this. They're not listening to me. And that's when the aggression for me comes out is when my wife or my son needs help, <laughs> and I'm just like, okay we're doing this, you know. <laughs> so you found so, a voice, so you, you didn't just get stepped over, because you brought right. that up, that in the past, sometimes you were a people pleaser, and I know I'm a people pleaser, and it, sometimes you don't want to ask those questions, you don't want to push, but that right. papa bear came out on you. Yeah. So he ended up having six heart surgeries in 18 months. Yeah. Did that fix it for the future, or does he see additional heart surgeries in his future? So we had a heart surgery in October of last year. Um, and he, he, he now is seven, right? Right. Yeah. So when he was just a month, you know, month after he turned six, he had. Um, well, they put in so four of the surgeries were valve replacements, the same valve. The SVT, his heart racing would cause. The it, when your heart races and, and pumps too fast for an extended period of time, the blood tends to pool around the valve. Uh, mainly, the blood would pool around the valve, and even on blood thinners, it would start to clot. And so he clotted out three different valves. And wow. so the fourth valve, yeah. So that's the reason. And, and in fact, the whole struggle wasn't just the surgeries. The struggle was that we were constantly trying to keep his SVT under control. So while there were six heart surgeries, there were you know, at least 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 trips to the hospital under emergency because he's an SVT and it was like at night and constantly running back and forth and, um, you know, hey, this visit might be two days, this visit might be a month and a half, you know, you just wow. never know. Um, so it was, it was tyrannical. Um, and now the, 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 the surgery in October was a valve replacement. They put in a mechanical valve. And they're actually telling us with this one, um, it, it could last until his 20s. I'm visualizing your life at that time and just the frenetic pace of all that and yeah. dealing with health insurance and doctors and, and all that. So, RL, your story is really important. Yeah. So what what helped you to come out with it, to stand up and speak up about this? Why are you doing this? I learned a ton about battling spiritually, about standing and fighting, about who I was and who we are as children of the living and loving God. And I wanted to share that. And I wanted to get that message out to people to say, hey, you're valuable, you have a fight. One of the things I love to tell parents who are going through stuff is um, after I say, hey, I'm with you, 
Um, if you need an ear, I'm here. Um, it's you know, but after that, I like to say that you have a f like the the frustrating thing, and I tried to put it on the back of the book, and I tried to capture it. As a parent, you feel like when your children are going through sickness, or you know, any type of medical stuff, you there's nothing you can do. But that's not the case. Like we have, yes, we have medical systems, but we also have weapons of warfare, which I talked about at the beginning with, you know, our words and our prayer and with faith and with all this stuff that we can actually fight back. And that's what I wanted to share in the book was that you are you have more of a fight than you know. And here's my story of how I learned that. Hopefully you take some from it. Right, and you need to know that you're not alone. And yeah. I, I see a great value in what you're saying be, and w understand about that, you know, you're not alone, but as far as a parent goes, there are, I'm sure, parents out there that are going through this feeling like, why is this happening to my child? You know, why is it happening to me? I don't know how to deal with this. And just to have another father and mother out there that have been through this would give me great comfort. It's like our story, my story. For me, knowing that there's another person out there that is benefiting from what I had to go through uh, gives me great joy. It, makes, it gives me the, the reason that you know it was worth going through what I went through. And, and you, yeah. I wouldn't wish a surgery on a child for any parent, but it happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And now you're the expert in that. And yeah. so what you went through is valuable to other parents or grandparents. I would imagine as yeah. a grandparent, that's very frustrating for your folks to be watching all this and have zero control over yeah. that. I talk about frustrating. And it's just like, why can't you fix him? That's what I would be saying to the doctors. Why can't you just fix him? Uh, yeah. But it is your, your faith in God and, and the belief that, and I know this too, that we're all here for a certain amount of time. And we don't know when it's going to be over. Could be today. Could be you know 100 years from now. But what we do with that life is what's important. Yeah. And I, I honor you for having this book. Now tell people how they can get a hold of the book. Well, they can go through my website rlshaver.com, um, S H A W V E R, because no one can spell my last name. Um, <laughs> and or they can, um, and I don't have an order up on there, so it's just going to lead them to Amazon. Right now, we're, we're just selling on Amazon. I think eventually we'll expand out to everything else, but the, the book is For This Child, I Have Prayed, Six Heart Surgeries, 18 Months. And you went, you used Michael Butler at Beyond yeah, Publishing. That's actually right. how you and I met. Um, yes. My book, the, A Gift Called Fearless, is coming out pretty soon, and, and Michael helped with that, and that was so much fun, meeting you as an author in Dallas. And like I said, it was kind of that instant, um, another son for me, basically. You're a little <laughs> bit younger than I am. But it was fun. You just have a great spirit about you. And I love what you're doing. And I, I encourage people that, you know, get a hold of the book and, and give it a story, give it a read, not just about Samuel, but what R.L. went through. And we all struggle with something in our life. And we all feel like we're alone at some point in our life. And we're not. And if you believe in a, a God that loves you and would, you know, again, I, I read something this morning. It's like, it is not God's pleasure to see us suffer, even if he allows it. Right. Life is about experiences and yes. the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to sit down and pray. And I, I was contemplating this last night about the prayers that I had said through my story.
And there were times when I know I prayed and I got the feeling that everything was going to be okay. And then right. when it all fell apart, I'm like, okay, that wasn't an effective prayer. Right. But looking back on it now, I'm like, it was the exact answer that I needed. Right. It, might, it wasn't what I wanted, but it was what I needed. Right. So did you ever have those times to kind of, before we wrap this up, were there I'll any, work. when you prayed and you didn't get the answer, how yeah. That? Yeah. In fact, the um, that's it, kind of why uh, with the first section of the book where I talk about like he's going to be fine, everything's going to be okay. In fact, I, I went so far as to tell my wife, oh, you don't need to take him to the hospital. You know, get that dumb guy eye roll thing. Um, and suddenly, wow, we're going in for open heart surgery. This is not what I was expecting. Wow, God, what are you doing? But it was, I, I thank God I had good people in my life, and I've had good people in my life most of my life through various ventures where I can, um, you know, they, they've taught me really good perspective because perspective is such a huge key. It's kind of this word that I, that I love right now because it's having a good perspective, perspective and knowing that it's like even though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my God's still with me, you know? Um, and, and and we kind of did, <laughs> and he was, you know? Yeah, you did, and you had some adult moments that you were thrown into that no young parent, no old parent wants to deal with. Nobody, um, but nobody at all. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to, but thank goodness there are good doctors out there if you just can yeah. find them. And, and yeah. again, your book is a tool for families that might be going through this, that they now have somebody they can contact, say, how do I navigate through this? Yeah, and, and they're welcome to reach out to me, too. I have contact information on my website, because not that I'm a counselor, not that I'm anything other than they have been there. Right. And so, RL, I just yeah. want to thank you so much for being my guest today and for sharing your story in such a vulnerable way. And I know we hit on things that weren't in the book, but that's part of standing up and speaking up because we yeah. are what's happened to us. We are our experiences. And uh, yeah. I'm looking at your picture with a big smile, and, and that's the RL that I met in Dallas and that I know. Uh, I I felt your frustration while we were talking, and that's part of the story too, but it's the conquering the fears, conquering the I'm not enough, the self-doubts, and like you say, using your words as a weapon, um, but it's usually our words to ourself telling that inner voice that, <laughs> like, like that comic where the, the two guys, one on your right shoulder, one on your left, and you're telling the one on the left just to take a hike. You know, yeah, right. just leave me alone. And I've done that in the car before. I've, I've yelled before just, you know, for me it's Satan. I'm like, Satan, just go away. Leave me alone. Yes. I've got stuff to do. And poof, yes. you know. So it's yes. that strength in that, in that warrior, that Papa Bear warrior stuff that I can see you doing. But you're such a gentle guy, too, on the other side. So I, I honor yeah. what you're doing. And thank you. And folks, go to rlshaver.com. Find this book for this child. I have prayed six six heart surgeries, 18 months. It's a good read. Um, I'm actually going to get the physical book because we talked about publishing last week and the difference between a physical book and digital. Physical book, I sit there with a highlighter 
and I highlight <laughs> and I make notes and then I think about things and it's it's so much greater. So I'm going to get my copy too. I appreciate you being here. Good luck on the book. I'm sure we'll I'll see you again with Michael and and Beyond Publishing and the things that we're doing with them. Uh, yeah. I wish you the very best. Give Samuel a big hug and Isaiah too. I don't want to leave his older will. brother out. Give the family big hugs from all of us at Stand Up and Speak Up. And thank you so much for your story. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo teaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe, and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.